There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you were looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen in for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper and a huge welcome to you all uh, listening to the Business Elevation Show today. And it's, it's always a pleasure to be here. And it's a special pleasure today. It's actually the ninth birthday on Monday of the show. So we've been doing this weekly for nine years. And it seems, when I reflect upon it, uh, so apt. You know, when I set up this show, I wanted to add value to over a million people beyond my clients. And I wanted to help them to raise their consciousness and help us all to raise their consciousness and myself in, in doing that. And, and therefore today, it just seems such a, a, an appropriate uh, time to have uh, a fantastic guest today, Tom Campbell, to talk about elevating uh, business consciousness. And before I do that, I want to say a big thank you to my guest last week, Andy Cope, who was the, the doctor of happiness. He does. He has a PhD in happiness. And we talked about being brilliant. And there were some tremendous ideas there about how to shift your state from being you know, the norm, as people tend to be in terms of their mood, to being you know, energized, uh, being somebody who connects with people, who's enthusiastic and passionate, and, and spreads you know, light and spreads energy wherever they go. So if you're interested in um, being brilliant and happiness, do listen to the interview last week with Andy Cope. So to today, an elevate, elevating business consciousness with Tom Campbell. Now, one of the things Tom says is that uh, wisdom resides more in the heart and soul than the intellect. And I therefore have a, an intellectual kind of beginning to this, but I also just want to share a little bit from the heart too. Now, to give you some background on Tom, in 2004, scientist and professional physicist Tom Campbell um, predicted that if the planet suffers much more damage, then Mother Nature would get even. And boy, hasn't it? As we're facing at the moment monumental business and uh, world changes. And I think Tom's um, trilogy, uh, My Big Toe, which stands for My Big Picture Theory of Everything, is incredible. It's, it provides some amazing insights and some solutions and represents the results and conclusions of lots and lots of scientific exploration of the boundaries and contents of reality from both physical and metaphysical viewpoints. But from a personal perspective, what does that mean? Well, myself, I've been around self-development for many, many years, and obviously I think interviewed something like 380 guests on this show. But I have found this work to be, for me, very, very enlightening. It's helping me to understand the bigger picture of my work and, and life and how significant or insignificant I am within that. Uh, it's also helped me actually to think about uh, the death of my father as well and what that means and my own death one day. And there are just so many questions and thoughts and ideas that are coming out of, out of Tom's work. Now, Tom is a physicist. He spent 10 years working as a senior analyst in military technical intelligence, 20 years developing U.S. missile defense systems um, before um, spending a, a period of time as an expert consultant generating complex risk analysis for NASA. In parallel with this, he spent over 45 years now as a consciousness researcher 
properties, boundaries, and abilities of consciousness. So he's got an incredible background, and I think an unusual one, a, a background of a physicist and somebody who is also looking at the, the, the bigger picture and, and trying to answer the context to which we live in and what is really important in this, uh, in this world. So today is going to be, I think, fascinating. I'd also like to thank um, my good friend, Jessica Richards, who's an expert in resolving on helpful limiting beliefs and fears, because she told me about Tom's work and, and I could see how passionate she was about it and the network that Tom has, uh, has created and his team uh, to um, share this fascinating work. I'd also recommend the interview with Jessica Richards. You can uh, go into the archive on the show and access that because that was a brilliant show too. So I warn you, if you really start to get into Tom's work, it's akin to deciding whether to take the red pill or the blue pill. There's some truths in there that are hard to handle, but also others that are revelationary. But you've got to be up for that. If you're not up for that, if you're not up for self-growth, then this isn't for you. And you've got to raise your awareness and face into the mind-bending surprises or remain blissfully ignorant. That's your choice. Tom often says, be open and be skeptical. So that's both. You can be open and be skeptical. So that's the recommendation. And just to be clear, Tom has an enormous amount of work online. There are videos, interviews with Tom. There's a wonderful um, series with uh, Tom and Bruce Lipton. So go and access all of that content. We can't uh, cover the entire theory of reality within um, just a, an hour. So there we go. I'd like to say a big welcome to my guest today, our ninth anniversary, Tom Campbell. Well, thank you very much, Chris. It's uh, my privilege to be here and uh, spend this hour with you talking about uh, business and whatever else comes up. Oh, ab absolutely. Well, I, I think we've got to find out today, and we've got a part two to this, interview as well coming up on the 25th of September but I want to find out a bit about you Tom and and your background and inspiration from that and I'm I'm sort of interested to start really where did this passion for science come from that it has led to you to an incredible place you've worked for NASA that's pretty amazing really well it started very early I uh, I came into this world very right-brained that means uh, kind of a, a holistic viewpoint, uh, big picture. And I had a drive to become left brain, <laughs> to balance really? that, really? that right brain, that right brain dominance that I, that I came in with. So I was a, a young boy at, you know, four or five or six who would kind of go off and sit by myself and chant, you know, that's how right brained I was. But I had this knowledge, I had this feeling, this, this uh, what drive to understand everything. And my big question was why? I'm sure I drove my parents uh, near insanity with why? How does this work? Why? And I was a child that took everything apart and hopefully mostly put it back together again. I wanted to know, you know, how does the flash, flashlight work? How does the light bulb work? How does the radio work? By the time I was probably seven, I had made my first uh, crystal uh, radio and was listening into shortwave uh, uh, with a, a little set of headphones. So I've always been right-brained and uh, kind of a generalist and big picture thinker, but at the same time, I was driven to become a physicist because physics is the fundamental understanding, the fundamental modeling of reality. 
And to me, that was the core question. You know, what is this reality and, and how does it work and why does it work that way? So I uh, started out uh, kind of knowing what it is I wanted to do and what it is I wanted to become. And I didn't really change that from a very young age. So that is what I have done. So it just kind of came in as an innate drive to me to be a scientist and also study consciousness. So is this where a lot of people, you know, where they get to that age and they stop asking why their parents sort of always knock it out of them because they're so frustrated <laughs> with it. You've, you've continued that why and you're still doing it. Absolutely. Never quit. <laughs> and you've written an incredible trilogy. I'm looking at it on my desk. It actually, it's, it's getting a bit dog-eared now because it, it kind of follows me around in my, my hand around the, around the house and I keep sort of dipping into it and trying to study it. And it, um, within it, you explain that um, you had some sort of unusual kind of metaphysical experiences from a young age. And then you had a, a really major paradigm shift at university whilst you were studying f- physics. And I wonder if you could, you know, share that story for us in, you know, in sound bites, really. Okay, well, I'll try to make it uh, very short. When I was probably five, six, seven years old in that, in that range, um, I uh, went out of body. Actually, I had some entity show up to me, and in my world, that was in a dream, um, and helped me go out of body. And I drifted up out of my body and was floating around in my bedroom, and realized that with my intention, I could make it go the way I wanted. So I slipped out through the wall and went down into the neighborhood and explored, you know, my, my yard and found that I could go right through bushes and didn't actually run into them. And I spent then the next bunch of nights after that exploring out of body. And I knew that it was more than a dream because I would see things like uh, the milkman. Now, I'm 75 years old. So when I was young, milkman came to people's houses and delivered milk to their front porch. And I saw this truck stop in front of my house while I was outside out of body. And the driver uh, got out of the truck and went around and got some cartons of milk and he was carrying these things up, put them on the porch, and went back into his truck and drove away. And I thought, well, gee, that's interesting. I never knew that's how milk ended up on the front porch because you know, I'm maybe five years old or six years old. I didn't understand much of what happened in the larger reality. And when I asked my family or told them about that, uh, they said, of course, yes, a truck comes and gets delivered. And I said, yes, I saw it. And, of course, they thought I saw it by looking out of a window, but it was dark out because that milkman came before the sun came up and I had seen it from an out-of-body state. And I very quickly realized that that was something you just keep to yourself because other people don't mm. understand. So from then on, I did not share any of that, but I continued to experience. So that was me at a very young age. Again, that, that right-brained, open, uh, intuitive part uh, found out-of-body to be Uh, kind of a natural thing. And, you know, it's not that unusual. A lot of children in that age group have spontaneous out-of-bodies. I thought it was a dream at first, but it was a dream in which I could see things that actually happened, which was a little strange. But later, many years later, I realized, well, that was what 
is classically called an out-of-body experience. Now, when I was at the university, in graduate school, I took a meditation course. It was Transcendental Meditation, special rate for students, and it would enable me to get by with less sleep. That's what I wanted. But when I started the meditating, I found out it was unnatural. I just sunk right into that meditation state almost instantly, and time would go by, and, and uh, I would have no recollection of it. So I had an immediate connection with meditation, and I found that in a meditation state, I could debug my software. Now, this is back in the old uh, you know, Neanderthal days of uh, computers and software. So I had boxes of cards, and each box of card, cards, I think, had something like 1,000 or 2,000 cards in a box. And I had four or five, six boxes of these cards. And, of course, you had to, card, you had to punch all these cards first before you read them into the computer. And in those days, there was no error correcting codes. There was no way for you to work on it online. You'd put in a job and it would just come back and either it ran or it didn't. And you didn't have any idea why not. All you know is it last printed here and then quit. So debugging was pretty hard in those days. And I found I could bring up in my mind uh, the, the printout. I could scroll through the, you know, the listing of my code that I got from the computer and those lines that were okay were black, and the ones that were problems were red. And I just would scroll by, and ah, there'd be a red line. I'd back it up, I'd look at that red line, and I'd say, okay, I'll remember that, because I wrote all those lines of code. You know, they were all my, it was all my, uh, my doing to write the code, so I was familiar with every line. And I'd go back then and check that, and sure enough, that's where a problem was. And sometimes those problems were subtle, like a card punch error. All the code was exactly right, but the card punch machine had made the hole just a little off center and it wasn't reading. And I'd get those too. So that was a big, big paradigm shift for me because as a, as a physicist, you know, I'm now, uh, what, probably 75% uh, of my way through graduate school already toward getting a PhD. And I realize that reality is a whole lot bigger than I thought it was. As physicists, we have what's called a, a um, uh, let's see, uh, uh, what's the word for that? Anyway, it's, it's the definition of reality is if you can measure it, if you can measure it, then it's real. If there's something you cannot measure, in other words, there's nothing, there's no way you can interact with it, then it's either not real or it's irrelevant. So reality is only that stuff that you can interact with. That's reality. And now I found that I could debug my software in my mind. And that software was a hard physical thing. My mind, not so much. And that told me that there was more to reality than the physical. And now, so I'm in my mid-20s or so, mid to late 20s when this happened. And I continued with my meditation because I was fascinated with the possibilities. And I played with things that I could do with my mind. And eventually, I met Bob Monroe, and he had a laboratory for studying consciousness. And I volunteered to be a scientist in his lab. And that started my career in uh, consciousness research, which was 
just about the same time I left graduate school. So both of my careers in physics, the one in physics and the one in conscious research started at just about the same time. I mean, this is, this is absolutely, absolutely fascinating to me. I, I remember having you know, a good friend a number of years ago talked about her outer body experiences and the sort of detail of what came through. And I have to be honest, it was a little bit of me, wasn't sure whether she was slightly bonkers. And <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I wonder, and we'll, we'll talk more in the second segment about belief systems, but you talk about being open yet being skeptical. And, and the more I thought about this and read your book, the more I thought about actually the different experiences in my life where, you know, the, what I thought was reality and became blurred. You know, my children both independently talked about seeing a little girl in the house. I've got an old, an old house and mm-hmm. you know, I've had taps on the shoulder in the uh, walking, both my wife and I have walking down the drive. And when I thought about it, um, I had had so many experiences in my life that I tried to rationalize as, as, you know, put, put aside without realizing actually there is, there is a bigger perspective that maybe we don't understand and maybe I'm just a small cog in the wheel. Yeah, well, that's, that's the price of having a belief. When we believe that these things are impossible because they conflict with what we believe about the world. We believe the world is materialistic and deterministic and that you know, mind is an artifact of, of uh, matter, that the brain creates consciousness. And when we have this worldview that really doesn't allow things like taps on the shoulder or, you know, children in the room who aren't seen by anybody but your children, then we tend to dismiss it. We just say, eh, that's just kind of random neuron firing or a hallucination or, uh, uh, you know, active imagination, and we just blow it off. So, Data comes in, it conflicts with what we believe, so we throw that data out. We justify it as nonsense. And that is the problem with all belief. When you believe something, then what you believe in your own mind becomes fact. And things that um, are not explained by that fact, things that are contrary to that fact, get brushed off. So we just only pay attention to the world that is in consonance with our beliefs. So a belief that these things can't possibly exist means that um, you don't uh, ever deal with them, even if you experience them. I've been told that an independent survey of people asking them, have you ever experienced anything paranormal? Comes out to close to 80% of the people saying yes. But I suspect that if you were in a group of people, particularly their peers and particularly at work, most of that 80% would probably deny it because it's not seen as uh, something that the smart, rational people would say. I I think it's, uh, you know, what do you think about in a, you know, business sort of context for people as well? There's often so much more going on than we appreciate. And I think in business, we realize that synchronicity you know it's just fascinating how you can be thinking of somebody or something and they call you or uh, as I, I found with my with my book I remember when I was going to get my book published my my co-author said to me what books do you love um, behind you because you've got lots of books on your shelf and I pulled three out and they were all published by Piatka's books 
And he said, you know, should we approach Piatka's books? I said, you're not going to believe this. I met Judy Piatka's last week and I've got a card next to my computer. This is, um, and then uh, you sit in coaching sessions with people and there's an energy and there's a feeling when you walk in the room. There is so much more, isn't there, that we, 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 you know, we don't fully appreciate. And I'm interested to know, Tom, you know, you are a very, very robust, very experienced and acclaimed physicist. You know, you work for, you work for NASA, for example. And I just wonder, there, there, there are physicists out there and scientists who are, are doing lots of experiments to justify kind of reality. And then there's, there's a whole group of people who, you know, maybe, you know, more uh, moving into the realms that we talked about. And one's often seen as being a bit flaky and the other one's seen as very, as being, you know, scientific. And I just wonder how important is it? Because you're unusual that, that, you know, that this, these are combined to get the bigger picture. Well, um, it is very important that uh, you do interdisciplinary study. If you're stuck in one discipline, like just physics or just psychology or just chemistry or something like that, your viewpoint is very narrow and you tend to take on the beliefs that are core to that discipline. Like in physics, core belief is this is a material reality and that anything else is a product of that material reality. Uh, with those beliefs, then there's a certain amount of things you just won't see. They'll be right there in front of you, but you can't see them. And I had a dual career in conscious research and in physics. And I did very well at both of those careers. I seemed to, uh, uh, was, was very successful at both of those careers. But the unique insights that I've written about could not have happened in any other way, except that I was working in both consciousness and physics at the same time. You know, the, the work that I've, that I've done basically solves the outstanding fundamental paradoxes in physics and metaphysics. Okay, well, it turns out that solving these paradoxes just needed a new perspective. It's just that if we don't, if we look at it from our beliefs, we'll see one thing. If we can get rid of those beliefs, we'll see something entirely different. So also these paradoxes weren't just, uh, you know, uh, physics and metaphysics, you know, metaphysics being what? Epistemology, ontology, and cosmology, knowledge of being, and where do we come from? But also uh, in biology, psychology, neuroscience, philosophy, even theology and others, things that are fundamental that are just, we know that's the way they are, but we don't know why. And just having this perspective that I gathered by mixing uh, studies of consciousness and, and physics, um, solutions to these paradoxes just fell out. And it was as much a surprise to me as, as anybody <laughs> that that would happen. I, I thought one of the, when I was reading your book, it, there was a you know, section in there where you explained some of these paradoxes. Do you want to give us a couple of examples of paradoxes, you know, like how the, how the universe was formed? I, I thought. Well, uh, yes, there's lots of paradoxes out there. Yeah, how the universe was formed. So we have a Big Bang Theory. That Big Bang Theory just says it all started 
when a very small, very high pressure, very high temperature, little ball of plasma called the beginning. And that went bang, which means it expanded according to the rules, you know, rules being gravity and, and pressure and, you know, the science we call physics for the most part, you know, how things interact. And then we had, uh, as this stuff expanded, it cooled, as it cooled, it solidified. We ended up with suns and planets, a universe. And then as uh, evolution perked along, we end up with us, you know, so that's kind of the basic beginning story that physics has. But you have to ask a question, where did that ball of plasma come from? Mm. You see, because the physical world, our universe, our physical universe didn't exist yet. So it couldn't have been a part of our physical universe. It was what? And for a while they thought, well, maybe there's also the big bang and the big contraction that it all goes out and becomes suns and a universe that it all contracts back into a ball of plasma and then bang and it just keeps doing that. But physicists realized and they came to experimental evidence that told them that no, that wasn't the case. It's, it's not going to come back into the, what they call the big crunch. Matter of fact, it's still accelerating its expansion. And that acceleration will go on forever. It's, it's accelerating in its uh, uh, growth. I'm talking about our universe is accelerating. Its volume is growing, uh, growing, growing bigger and bigger by, you know, and faster and faster uh, as time goes on. So there's nothing that's going to turn it around and make it, uh, make it come back. It's not going to stop and then come back the other way. That's just not the way our universe works. And science comes up with dark matter and dark energy and other sorts of things to explain this. But uh, in any case, uh, that's one of them. Another one is why is the speed of light a constant? Another one is why should probability distributions be the best way to describe particles? In quantum physics, you know, in quantum physics, they, we don't talk about particles, little chunks of mass, say, with charge, like an electron. We talk about probability. A particle only exists as probability. And then when we make a measurement, that particle pops into view within this reality. Well, that sounds pretty mystical, but <laughs> it isn't. It's just the nature of reality and how reality works. So those sorts of things... Um, there's also mysteries in, in biology, um, all sorts of things. You know, physics has dozens of them. Where does time come from? Where does space come from? Where does mass and charge? Where are all these basic things that are in physics? Where do they come from? Well, physics just says, well, we don't know. They just are. You know, they just exist. Well, that's not very satisfying, you know, and with my uh, understanding, then all of these things can be derived from first principles. Yes, of course, our particles aren't really particles. They're just probability distributions until they're measured. That's the nature of our reality. And of course, the speed of light has to be a constant. It couldn't be anything else because that's the fastest that you can move from one pixel to another within information space. So in any case, all these... Um, paradoxes just fall right apart and, and make themselves accessible to deductive logic. Once you have the right perspective 
about the nature of reality. And that perspective is that our reality is information-based, not matter-based. Well, we've got to go absolutely fascinating this. We've got to go to commercial break very shortly. Um, and and there's loads more paradoxes in the book. And uh, the, the ones on biology, I think, you know, we don't really understand why people have thoughts going through their heads and emotions, um, anger, sadness, fear, hurt. Where do they all come from scientifically? There are just so many different paradoxes. And what you've done in your um, trilogy is, is take this apart and help people to gain a sense of what this, this bigger picture is. And I think I, a conclusion I took from that as well from your, from your book and you suggest it is that maybe we're just a very, very tiny, tiny little piece in the entire system. So we're going to go to commercial break now. And after the commercial break, we're going to have lots more um, exploration with, uh, with Tom Campbell. Do join us in just a couple of minutes. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Tom Campbell, and we're talking about elevating business consciousness. And I, I do hope that this first section has started to do that for you, because it's, you know, for me, I'm, I'm tingling actually with, with this conversation and uh, thinking about what it really means and the bigger, bigger perspective of it. And in, in the introduction, Tom, I did explain that when you wrote your book, and I think it was about 2004, that um, you explained in it that Mother Nature would get its own back um, because of the, you know, the destructive potential um, power that, uh, that we have as human beings. And once um, it starts to impact her capacity to regenerate. And I just wonder, you know, is, that what's, is that what is happening right now? Well, yes, it is. You know, right now we have, <laughs> we have more than one crisis, you know, going on at a time here, you know. COVID is the, is the one that's up front and uh, present. Uh, that's probably the least of our, of our uh, problems. Something bigger, would say, is uh, global warming, which uh, seems to have longer and, and deeper uh, issues and problems. But the basic 
thing, Chris, is that choices have consequences. And if we make our choices within a small picture of reality, that's that little um, uh, materialistic, deterministic viewpoint. If we make choices within that small picture of reality, we're going to be blind to most of these consequences. The smallest reality that we have is self-centeredness, right? That's when you're the smallest the smallest reality. It's just about you, only about you. And then you can maybe have a little bigger picture where it's your, you know, your family. And then maybe your business or your community, your country, your world. You may even care about your solar system and that uh, meteorites may come through and, uh, you know, uh, run into us. Uh, so beyond that physical, there's also another whole set of things that is the realm of consciousness, what we might say the inner world. If the physical world's the outer world, then consciousness is the inner world. And there you have things that are not objective, but subjective, things like love, justice, beauty, truth, compassion, empathy, morality, caring, emotion, fear. All of these things exist beyond the objective physical world, but they're all very, very important, and they all expand this the size of our reality. You know, all of those things are, are, are expanding our consciousness, our sense of what's real. So as the reality you operate in grows, your decision space grows and your perspective grows within it. Also your potential and your potential to be part of the solution rather than part of the problem grows as well. So yes, we're experiencing now the results of our uh, what not so uh, not so expansive choices choices that don't see beyond our own what greed our own need for resources our own need to uh, survive and and succeed in a little picture but the bigger picture has consequences in it as well so yes we're seeing the results of poor choices made earlier and we can continue down that line and continue with poor choices, or we can grow and uh, kind of expand our understanding of the of the world. And is this a bit of a? You mentioned that in that love, and I think you mentioned fear. Is is this a? Is this almost a, a battle between love and fear? Um, I, when you talk about self interest, and I think about you know companies taking over, utilizing, increasing shareholder value all the time by eating up more and more of the world's resources. I think about people who are maybe running companies, earning several hundred times the average of an employer. These all things all seem linked to, you know, a, a fear-based approach rather than a, an approach which is about love and the, and the bigger picture. Absolutely. Our whole reality is what representative of the struggle between you might say good and evil, but it isn't really that. It's between fear and love. That is the key struggle. And that struggle uh, has always been kind of at the core of our life. I mean, look at our literature, look at our, our movies, look at our, you know, the, the things that, you know, our, our plays, look at our output in our art. It almost all centers about this, this struggle between fear and love. We, we say good and evil, but um, it's, it's not really that. It's fear and love are the more fundamental 
attributes of it. And that's important. And as we, as our choices are made because of the fear, if the fear is making our choices, then our, the results of those choices turn out to hurt us. They turn out to bite us. They're, they become problematic, not only for us, but for, for everybody. You see, we're all connected and the choices we make don't just affect ourselves, they affect other people. And those other people then affect other people. So everything we do has this ripple effect that uh, goes out into this larger world. And that's why we need this bigger picture of this larger world so we can appreciate the consequences, not just the intended consequences, but the unintended consequences as well. You know, the things that most people don't think about. So yes, this fear versus love is the central ethical struggle that goes on in business, in art, in family, in personal relationships. It's the basic dynamic. And that's what it means to be human, is to be a part of the struggle. And is there a key to, well, we'll ask you what consciousness means to you. I think it'd be great to define it, but is this, is this accessing more love and less fear one of the keys to elevating consciousness? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, as you make choices out of fear, you change yourself. And you make choices out of love, you change yourself. The choices you make are part of your growing process, part of your evolution. The choices we make now turn us into something else. You know, what were we before the choice and what are we after the choice? Choices change us just by a little bit. And if those choices are based on fear, they move us in a negative direction. One where we struggle, one where we feel pain, one where we are, um, uh, what, focused on self as opposed to focused on other. So the other choice is to make choices toward love. As we do that, our life becomes more um, happy. We find that happiness. You don't need a PhD in happiness. You just become happy because you are making your choices based on caring, on compassion, on cooperation. It's uh, what can I give, not what can I take? You know, what's in it for me, it's how can I help? So those two attitudes, those two different attitudes will make the difference between a, a life lived in a small reality that is full of fear and, and pain and discomfort and, and um, oh, negativity and one that's lived with joy and happiness and feeling, uh, what, appreciated and, and uh, satisfied. That's what happens when you make your choices based on love. So yes, that is the big difference between real success and only material success. Material success can be from either one of those two sets of choices, but real success is, is a success as a human being, not just a success in business. And for that, you need to care. You need to have a bigger picture. Isn't that important? And is that the key? You talked about ripples. And is that the key that we all need to consider those qualities to help us make a, a positive ripple on this situation while we're there and help us move collectively, individually towards solutions? 
Yes, that is the key. And that's actually why we're here. Uh, that kind of brings up another big part that uh, uh, could, we could talk about for probably uh, more than the rest of the show. But we, we're here for a purpose. And that purpose is for us to evolve our quality. Okay, now, I put that in more specific terms of uh, evolve the quality of our consciousness. But that's just using different words to say the same thing. It evolves our quality as a person. And that's why this physical reality, this physical universe exists. It exists for a purpose. It didn't just come out of this, this uh, ball of plasma that came from nowhere. It was part of, a, um, of consciousness, of the consciousness system, setting up a, a um, could we say a virtual reality for us to experience in, for us to make choices in, and by that, modify the quality of our consciousness, evolve the quality of our consciousness. So, in my worldview, consciousness is fundamental. It's the fundamental thing. The physical reality is actually a derivative, a virtual reality created by consciousness. Now, a lot of people will find that to be a little strange. You know, that's kind of off the charts as far as. Uh, <laughs> Uh, commonly accepted ideas. But from that viewpoint is where we get to solve all these paradoxes and derive a better physics. So it uh, does better physics. That is a good sign that it has credibility if you can improve the nature of uh, a science like physics. I, I think in your, your book, you express a number of times, a, a statement that's stuck in my mind, which is the quality of your being expresses the correctness of your understanding. Is, is the understanding about understanding this bigger picture and these, these concepts around love and, yes. being and who you're being? You see, when you, when you understand that, then you understand who am I? Why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing? And and having good, solid, logical answers to those questions is what then can orient you toward what I would call true success. You know, again, success as a, as a person, success as, a, as an individuated unit of consciousness, success as a human being, if you will. Uh, so, yes, that's the, that's the key thing. It's why we're here. Wow. And what, what is... What what it, we've got you know the world and uh, and this this system that we're part of it it is complete continuously driving itself to improve and and get more efficient and you know, you've got a, a technological background and it just feels that um, that everything is accelerating and technology is accelerating you you were doing that in your your kind of career with technology and taking that thinking further, can it keep on going faster and faster? And that's another dynamic, isn't it? That can, maybe it can um, identify the keys to solving these problems like climate change, but also it can be very destructive as well, can't it? It feels like it's taking on a life of its own. Yes, well, technology is evolving. Technology will continue to evolve. And this idea that we can somehow stop that you know, process of evolution and, and uh, 
or even slow it down is really doesn't work. You can't stop it. You can't slow it down. As long as technology creates things that are useful to people, people will further the technology and they will use those things. Now, whether we have the wisdom to use that technology wisely, that's another thing. So the big race here isn't one technology against the other, it's technology against our wisdom. So if our technology gets, let's say more destructive, has the potential to be more destructive than our wisdom to use it, then we're in, we're in big trouble as a, as a race and you know, even as a, as a planet. So that's the race that matters is whether or not our, our wisdom can grow sufficiently to make good use of our technology. Technology is neither here nor there. Technology isn't moral or immoral. It just is. It's what people do with it that makes it moral or immoral, ethical or unethical. And that's the choice of people. And if they make the choice to the side of cooperation and caring and, and you know, the, the love side, then what they do with that technology is going to be wonderful and helpful. Because if it isn't, they wouldn't do it. On the other hand, if it's all about, you know, what can I get out of it? How is it good for me? Uh, how can I make money from this? And has no idea about the, the effects that it has, all those unintended consequences that may come and bite us later. If we're looking at it from a small reality and a, a, a small uh, sense of who and what we are, then we tend to make very poor decisions. And then we have to deal with the consequences of those decisions like we're doing now with the, say, with the global warming or with the fact that we could, you know, blow up the entire world with uh, nuclear uh, uh, fusion bombs or that, you know, we could pollute ourselves, you know, uh, into extinction by poisoning the environment. We have all sorts of ways that our uh, poor choices can, can do us all in. So, yes, the key thing is to have that wisdom. That wisdom only comes from a bigger picture. And the bigger picture only comes from really understanding who you are, why you're here, um, you know, what's the nature of our reality and what's our place in it. And, and do you think, Tom, I, I think uh, your book expresses that this is a, there's a personal journey in here, isn't there? There's to work on ourselves individually, but then there's, you know, there's a lot of people that, uh, need to find this bigger picture. Uh, mm -hmm. And how, how do we do that in time? Well, the first step is to be aware that we need to find that bigger picture. Yeah. You'll never find it until you come to the conclusion that, uh, you know, it, it's something that you can do. And that bigger picture actually reveals itself and, and kind of unfolds in front of you as you explore inner space. It's about being. It's not about doing. It's about understanding. So often where people start is meditation. Meditation tends to be the, the beginning place of exploring inner space. You know, it's the launch pad. So I would suggest that people start there if they want to, uh, you know, to grow in that direction. But it's just a matter of opening, getting, letting go of 
beliefs, letting go of fear. That is another way to approach it. Look at your life and say, if anything in my life is negative, you know, do I get upset? Do I, you know, do I argue? Do I get angry? Uh, do I get annoyed? Do I have stress? Um, do I feel not appreciated? You know, you look at all these negative things. And if you have any of those negative things, that's because you have fear. You only have those because of fear. And if you can get rid of that fear and you can get rid of those beliefs, then, well, you've done it. What's left is you as love. It's the fear and the, and the beliefs, the ego that drags us down. So we just need to have a, an intent to grow up, an intent to find a bigger picture, an intent to find our purpose and why we're here. And you'll find it if you have that intent. One thing will lead to another and lead to another. But meditation is a good place to get acquainted with your own consciousness. All of these things are really the properties, the attributes of consciousness that we're talking about. And understanding that um, should be a critical part of your life. You should be driven to understand those kinds of questions. Yes, they do have answers. And they have scientific answers. They have uh, logical answers, not just metaphysical answers and not just belief-based answers. So look for the science. It's there. Mm. And that this uh, whole aspect of, of meditation, I think when we come to the next show, we maybe talk a, a, a bit more about that. But it, it's something I have been practicing much more consistently since I've been reading your book. And I, I've been quite surprised by, you know, I can have meetings coming up and I just almost allow this process to be my guide. And it's uncanny what it, what it unearths. <laughs> and when I go to my meeting and then ask about and find it's, you know, hit, hit the nub on the head, there's, there's something through that process, isn't there, which uh, reveals answers. Um, I've, I found that I couldn't find through a more linear sitting down with a piece yeah. of paper. Um, Absolutely. Well, this, this, these ideas that we find here that we're talking about, you know, they also are the same core ideas that business people have. You know, let's get this a little bit back to business because after all, this is a, a program on business. Yeah. You know, business requires a bigger picture, right? If you're in charge, then it's not just about the nuts and bolts and, you know, getting the mail and, and, and uh, filling orders. You need to have a plan. You need to have strategic thinking as well as tactical thinking. You need to see big pictures. So a successful businessman needs to cultivate big picture thinking, right? He needs to not only be concerned with the what uh, and the possibilities of how, but also the quality of the why. Why are we doing this? And what effects will it have on, on others? And also, business is about people, right? Businesses are people. That includes the, the owners, the executives, the customers, the employees. They're all people. So if you have a real good fundamental understanding of people and what makes them tick and why they make the choices they make, then that will be much better for business. So fundamentally understanding people and caring about people, having a big picture uh, are two things that business needs Critically, and the third thing business needs is to develop its intuition. 
Okay, to have, make that intuition to be as accurate and reliable as it can be, and it can be very accurate and reliable. A lot of business decisions come down to intuition. What are those markets going to do? What are those customers going to do? What's going to happen in the future? Well, you can't read a crystal ball and see what's happening in the future, but you can understand the possibilities and you can understand the probability of each possibility. And that information is available to your intuition. So those are three things, the big picture, the understanding people at a fundamental level and developing your intuition that are all really at the heart of my work. And those are the things that business people may need more than anything else. So this is about business and good for business. I think you've just summarized beautifully what we're going to talk about on our next show with you on the 25th of September. Tom, we've got to, got to leave it there. Absolutely fascinating. I've loved talking with you. Um, I'm, I'm buzzing at the moment, um, thinking about all the things we've spoken about today. And I just want to share a few links for people. If you want to find out a bit more about Tom's experiments, you can go to cusac.org, C-U-S-A-C.org. If you want to find out, um, there's lots of resources at uh, my-big-toe.com. That's my-big-toe.com. And you can Google on YouTube uh, Tom's interviews with the likes of Bruce Lipton, uh, and there's a lot, lot of content on there. Tom's very generous at giving away free content. Um, but we're back again on the on the 25th of September with Tom. On next week's show, we have Celine Marin. Uh, we're going to be talking about... Um, uh, about your, your health and vibrancy and energy and well-being uh, next week. But, Tom, fantastic. Thank you so much. You're quite welcome. It's been my pleasure, and I look forward to doing this again. Excellent. Thank you. Everybody, take care. Go away and think about your consciousness. We thank you for listening to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.